You're listening to episode 15 of In Film We Trust. I'm Liam. I'm Wayne. A weekly podcast where we discuss, dissect and deep dive all things film from the obscure to the mainstream. And now, on with the show. In Planet Terror, Robert Rodriguez is half of the Grindhouse double feature. A Texan town becomes the epicenter of a zombie infection. Caused by a chemical called DC2, which a vast web of characters, including Lieutenant Muldoon, played by Bruce Willis, wants their hands on. Caught up in this scenario is our two central characters, Cherry Darling and Ray, who will have to navigate this nightmare and lead a band of survivors to safety. Grindhouse, Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez's 2007 double feature, including Death Proof and Planet Terror. Hmm. I imagine Tarantino and Rodriguez would like to have done a collaboration for quite a long time because they've been friends for ages, haven't they? Do you know where they met? The Toronto Film Festival in 1992 when Tarantino was making Reservoir Dogs Hmm. and... Robert Rodriguez was making El Mariachi. They had already made it, but they were selling it at this point. Oh, but they are promoting, promoting it here. Promoting it, yes. Yeah, you can see their kind of sensibilities working together very well, can't yeah, you? Yeah, well, Grindhouse is the perfect encapsulation of both of their styles. They're both coming from a, a very exploitation, genre, action, Yeah, you know, a base, And so they? that's why you could say this Grindhouse thing was kind of like a perfect idea for them to pool their talents you could and say and interestingly this film actually sprung from Tarantino he, he would have this penchant for screening double features to friends especially Robert Rodriguez he said I always wanted to do a double feature mm-hmm. hey why don't you direct one and I'll do the other and Tar- Tarantino quickly replied and we've got to call it Grindhouse, Grindhouse. Well, it makes sense because they're paying homage essentially to the would you call Grindhouse a genre no, Grindhouse isn't a genre. What Grindhouse is, is there were these terms for rundown theatres in urban areas. Mm-hmm. And usually because they were rundown, they weren't usually getting like A-list films. Mm. So what would happen is you'd get the B-movies, the exploitation movies coming through. And that's how it got it. A lot of these cinemas, you were, they were old vaudeville buildings. Yeah. Would you say then that Grindhouse is kind of like the counterpart to arthouse films? Because these movies are like you say, it's your kind of splatter films, your slasher films, your cheap B-movies that's what these look like come again completely different to what you'd regard as art house cinema yeah there's almost there's almost like a tangible correlation between these and the you know in the 90s you had the van damme films mm-hmm. they then direct to video well went after a certain point direct to video but whereas them were way more polished even direct to video these exploitation films were far greater you know than a van damme film yeah even like the aesthetic which is someone we'll talk about later yes. even the even it had this very kind of kind of broken down gritty aesthetic but that's that was part of the charm because you watched it and you thought these are what these movies used to be like and well the aesthetic as you mentioned which we'll get to that's not actually how they were filmed how that aesthetic came to be is because these were cheap films at the time they would only make about several prints of the film and they wouldn't be released ma- on a mass release like films are now. So they would tour the country. <laughs> so they would go to cinema, to cinema, to cinema, to cinema. And at, because there were so few prints of these films, as it would tra- travel, 
the the actual quality of the film would start to degrade, which is where we get like our characteristic, the scratches, the missing reels. That's actually how it came to be, just through being torn to shreds on the trail. So basically, if you watched the first showing of the film and then the last showing of it, you would notice a kind of appreciable decline in quality. Definitely. You'd almost even get a Frankenstein quality where it's like, <laughs> oh shit, this print's got a missing reel. Yeah. So they'll patch it together. So for example, one scene could be very bad quality and the next would be almost in Technicolor. Yeah, and you're saying about Grindhouse having an interesting history. So did Double Features because it was a thing that came about in the 30s and it was about America trying to bounce back from the Great Depression so they would sell you one ticket, get access to two movies. It was like a kind of two-for-one deal like you get in supermarkets. Yep. And it was to essentially incentivize people coming back to cinemas after the Depression. So was this ever a British thing? Well, I know it's... Or a European even. It seems extremely American, doesn't it? Does, it? it does seem more American. What we did have here, something I remember quite fondly, were double feature VHS tapes. Because yes. I remember growing up, we had one. It was uh, Hard Rain with Christian Slater and Daylight featuring Sylvester Stallone. Films that seem to have nothing to do with each other just slammed together on a VHS tape. Well, they even... Uh, well, you get them to the, this day, even with DVDs, Blu-rays. A lot of it is cheaper companies it's almost like an action pack yeah and i know uh tarantino he's seen it was like a double bill two films drag strip girl and rock all night rock and, and roll all night yeah rock and roll all night. both of them own the posters and it was them it was from then they wanted to make a double feature because tarantino he's a kind of he loves his exploitation movies yes. he watched exploitation horror films kung fu films he has his own film festival where he would screen films like this it's obvious they both have this love and appreciation for the genre so you could see why they'd want to make this double feature well tarantino owns the new beverly in hollywood the new beverly he? does and yeah. he shows a lot of these films because you can see it in actually every tarantino film his love of the genre yeah he's always paying homage to these other films yes. like, some folk have said it's a rip-off the way it's done but it feels much more like he's just paying tribute to these films he loved well there's very there's loads of references there's a whether lot it's of lady snowblood and kill bill yeah yeah but it's everything from like kind of subtle camera movements to entire lines of dialogue and we can't underestimate the influence like you said rock and roll all night drag strip girl both produced or made by Roger Corman. Roger Corman, one of the gods of B-movie cinema. Yes. Yeah. You I'll, can't underestimate his influence on, on gr this Grindhouse double feature. It hasn't. And what Tarantino wanted to do is, they said, when they had these posters, these posters for Grindhouse films looked fantastic. They were unbelievable. Yes. But because of the low budget, they couldn't often deliver. So Tarantino said, he says, we're going to make two sleazy Grindhouse movies that deliver on their posters. But of course, they had the budget and the means to do that. Well, some critics, Wayne, they mm. said, oh, they didn't even deliver. Some critics didn't think they delivered? Nope. But which movies were they watching then? Yeah, well. But we should say, because this is a Grindhouse double feature, we're going for the full immersive experience. And mm -hmm. there's fake trailers mm -hmm. for fake exploitation films. And I'll, there's, there's five of them. There's Don't by Edgar Wright. Werewolf Women of the SS by Rob Zombie, Machete by Robert Rodriguez mm -hmm. himself, Thanksgiving by Eli Roth, and Hobo with a Shotgun by Jason Eisner. <laughs> I've heard of Hobo with a Shotgun, yeah. Well, it became a film. It did become a film. And so did Machete. Yeah, exactly. But this is not like a thing just then because was Tropic Thunder came out around that time and that was famous for having fake trailers at the start oh, as well. Oh, did it? Yeah, like... Um, I mean, obviously, again, fake stupid movies. Yes. But this was done, obviously, with the Grindhouse. It was Grindhouse movies the fake trailers were for. And the thing is, unfortunately, this as a double feature, it really wasn't successful. It wasn't at all, it unfortunately. It almost tanked, you Death, could say. Death Proof was more successful. Um, Planet Terror actually didn't even make back half of its budget. 
And I think from the start for overseas markets, they split them into two separate films. Mm -hmm. What I heard is that it was billed as a double feature. So you go to the cinema, you watch one, you watch the other. I think this concept confused a lot of audiences because some people watched the first film and then just left. Yes. They didn't, it's like they forgot there was another one coming along afterwards. They even had to have at the marquee saying, please stay, there is a second one. They had to change advertising because people were just walking out on the second film. Where, where do you stand in that? Do you find the double feature too indulgent? I don't. No, I've got no problem I with it. I love that immersion. See, that... you've got two things for the for the price of one. Like you've got this again, this double feature. I wonder how much the tickets were. I don't know. Do you think they charge them like regular single price tickets? No, I think they budged them up a bit. Do you? Maybe like budget. Maybe not actual no, double. Not, not, not two films, but yeah, I think they probably punched them. But up there was a little bit of a knock up on price. Yeah. So yeah, this is how we get to Planet Terror, and because we are specifically for this episode doing Planet Terror. The, the theatrical release, not the Grindhouse release, because we have to keep in mind that both films were shortened for the Grindhouse double bill. Mm -hmm. There was 10, sometimes 20 minutes cut from each film. What, so it, uh, people weren't sat in the cinema for yeah, too long? Yes, so, yeah. so each film wasn't two hours each. Yeah, so, or because that's a long, four hours is a long yeah. time. So that's... And when you've got the fake trailers. and So we are doing explicitly, this is the Planet Terror theatrical single release we're doing. And we kick off with a fake trailer, as you mentioned, for a movie called Machete. Machete, which Robert Rodriguez directed himself. And his plan for Machete, it was actually to turn star of Machete, uh, Danny Trejo, into a Van Damme, where he would be Machete in a film once a year. Oh, well, like a... Yeah, like they would like be... Like a serial kind of thing. Yes, so they almost like direct-to-video. Okay. Each year, there'd be a new Machete film. That yeah. was the plan. Yeah, and it's it's a fantastic way of opening the film because it very much does set up what you're kind of expecting from the film because the look of the trailer, it's just like the rest of the film. Like we say, these Grandos films were famous for kind of like the degradation of the, the of film, the film yes. stock. There's like dust everywhere, there's scratches, there's lines, there's even bits where it gans all funny colours. And that's exactly what this trailer looks like, the trailer for Machete. Because you've never saw Machete, have I've you? never actually seen film Machete. No, but um, when I watched this, I, I thought to myself, oh, that's where it came from, because I didn't actually realise it came from a fake oh, trailer. did you not? Just yeah. like Hobo with a Shotgun? I'd, heard, I'd heard of Hobo with a Shotgun had, but I hadn't had with this it's one. It's very good. Mm. It's, it's a fun film. Hobo with a Shotgun? No, no, uh, Machete. Yeah, it, it looks like it. From this trailer, this trailer is something that would sell me straight away on this film, because Danny Trejo, very likeable guy, Obviously has fun. This is a perfect kind of role for him. Well, you're getting the same. You're getting a similar aesthetic to Planet Terror. Yeah. Robert Rodriguez has a style that is his own at this point. Specifically, yeah, and it sets up like this action hero. And I, the line I love from the trailer: it says, oh, "Should I do it in my trailer voice?" He you goes, can do it. He says, "He knows the score. He gets the women, and he kills the bad guy." Isn't that just a description of how an action movie goes, really? Well, it's like you were saying, like with the posters or something, that they, they're over-promising things the film can mm. deliver. Well, this dude jumps, what he does this massive jump on a motorbike with an explosion with a minigun on the front of the bike. This is one of the most ridiculously, gratuitously over-the-top things I've ever seen in any kind of trailer. But does it make you want to watch the film? Damn right, it makes me well, want to watch the film. Well, then it's successful. I, and it does tie into the film as well, because um, is it Jeff Fahey? Jeff Fahey, Fahey yes. Jeff Fahey. JT, who is, was it? Who is in, yeah, JT, who is in Plant Terror, is in this as a bad guy. Yes, he is. And, well, I would rather, I'd prefer him as the bad guy than taste his barbecue sauce. Uh, hey, that's the best barbecue sauce in Texas, thank you very much. But do you know the secret ingredient? Uh, well, well, there seems to be a lot of secret ingredients. Blood. <laughs> Blood. I, I, I am not 
eating barbecue sauce with blood. Specifically the salt, wasn't it? It was a salt, Salt yes. man, this guy loves his barbecue sauce. So we're introduced, we start Planet Terror, we're introduced to Cherry Darling, played by mm. Rose McGowan. Cherry Darling, very much a strip. It's like, you know when you go online and you do like, yes. generate my stripper name? Yeah. Cherry Darling sounds like that. Either that or a cocktail. It's not a stripper name, Wayne. It's a go-go name. Sorry, a go-go girl Exactly. Name, yeah. She's, we open and she's doing her go-go dance. Mm-hmm. And fun fact, Rose McGowan is a germaphobe and she's doing a pole dance, so they had to... Uh, um, Bucket, yes. Every time. And, and unfortunately for her, do you know what? Hmm? She's dancing over the credits with Harvey Weinstein's name. Yeah, that's actually that's a very awkward part. There's a bit where a title card comes up and it goes, Brought to you by your friends at the Weinstein Company. Now there is a phrase you never ever oh, hear no. again. Yeah, and, and funny you mention that because Rosa McGowan was cast as kind of a fuck you to Weinstein because she told Robert R- Rodriguez Harvey had harassed her at one yes. point and she had to sign a no disclosure cause so she couldn't work with the Weinsteins again. So when she worked with this film, which was produced by Dimension Pictures, run by Bob Weinstein... Dimension Pictures, yeah, yes. Harvey couldn't say anything about it without outing what he did. But mm-hmm. uh, Rose McGowan's called shit on that, Wayne. Has she called shit on that? She said Robert Rodriguez used her experiences as a mind game against her. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, what, like she, so because she, was, she used, he used the information she had gave him, mm-hmm. and then he she, he went and sold the film to the Weinsteins. Oh, but right. then he's kind of corrected her and said, mm-hmm. "Hey, hey, the film was already sold to the Weinsteins before." It's one person's word against yeah. the other. It's really hard to know where to where to go with these things, isn't it? But Robert Re- Rodriguez says he made her a go-go dancer, figuring that it'd be more tragic if she lost her leg. Mm-hmm. Which she definitely does. Well, 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 she does absolutely, literally. Yeah. What I like is uh, that music playing during the thing, like classic Grindhouse. I could not stop tapping my feet because Robert Rodriguez, as he usually does, does all the music for the. He film, does the music he? himself. And do you find with Robert Rodriguez's scores, it's very John Carpenter, nineteen eighty. It does sound like that. Yeah, that kind of grinding themes. Yeah. Or even that almost blues rock he used in From mm. Dust Till Dawn. Because there's a prominent, very prominent saxophone on the track. Because can you remember it? in From Dust Till Dawn, we had Tito and the Tarantula. If that the was. Band. An, that was in the bar in yes. Mexico, wasn't they were it? Yeah. Band. Real band, Tito Real and Tarantula, yes. I really liked From Dust Till Dawn. It was a good it was a really good film. Damn good film. What did was, you yeah. think? Did you think it was too too much two halves? Yeah. because well, when it gets to that bar, like it almost changes genre entirely. Did you find the first half was a Tarantino flick and the second half's a Robert Rodriguez yeah, flick? It does feel yes. like that. It's almost like this double feature is one and one the yes. other. So yeah. So they've yeah. already done a double feature with There we go. It These was are parallels. Something I did like else uh in the credits, uh, we have a credit for the crazy babysitting twins. They are very crazy. They are. There's tons of little things like this in the movie that are kind of very self-aware moments. And they're related to Robert Rodriguez. They are, aren't they? Yes. Although, interesting, there's an actor in this film, Freddie Rodriguez, who isn't. He's not. I had to look that up no. because we did an interview about this film and it's just, are you related to Robert Rodriguez? Just, no. No. That was it. Unless he's lying, but why would he? So, Cherry Darling, this this club's owned by Skip. Mm. And talking about interesting facts, do you know Skip? Not an actor. He was Robert Rodriguez's (laughs) real estate agent. Yeah, his landlord. And apparently he actually is like that in real life. That's really his personality. So he wasn't actually acting there. He was just being his own dickish self. Basically, yeah. <laughs> Basically, yeah. And he chastises Cherry Darling for... She cries at the end she of cries that. She cries at the end. I thought she was dead at one point because she like lies there and stops moving. That must have been some dance way. Would have been some her. dance, yeah. Because with the score fading away, she's just lying there and he comes in and he says, was it? it's it's go-go, not cry-cry. Which we'll come back to. Which we'll cry, come back yep. to, yeah. Because she quits the job after that. Mm-hmm. But she quits by saying, I need a dramatic change in my life. So that brings us to our favourite F word ever, foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. Wayne, actually, 
I think this film warrants it. There is a hell of a lot of foreshadowing. There's a lot in this film, Especially in the dialogue. It never stops. But that's you feel that was very, very deliberate. It wasn't accidental. Like Robert Rodriguez was constantly planting these seeds. Was Go-Go Dancer not useless talent number 12? It was one of the... She's got several useless talents. I think more than several. None of which is one, two, and three. It's all like big numbers later on. Well, Robert Rodriguez is quoted as saying, I got the useless talent idea from Rose. Ever since I met her, she's always been talking about the things she can do, like useless talent number 31, for example. I thought that that was fascinating. I said, I'm going to put that idea in the script, but I'm going to make sure Cherry's talents aren't useless. Mm -hmm. It's just that she hasn't figured out how to use them yet. Exactly. The talents aren't useless. They're just not yet utilized. Is she a superhero in? I think she could She's be. just never awakened to her powers yet. I think she could be a superhero, yes. She does need a, 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 an awakening, which this movie will give her. So let's set up a cast character, because, hey, th- th- you could, this is a very much an ensemble film. It is an ensemble if film. If you were to go bit by, uh, stage by stage, we'd be here for a, several hours. We'd be here for a long time. So we've got Cherry Darling. Mm-hmm. We've got... Ray. Mm-hmm. Ray's a man of mystery. El Ray. Right down he to comes the, to know we get yeah. we get to figure out he's called El Ray. Right down to the way he speaks as well. He speaks in that very kind of like hardballed crime novel way. He's a he? wrecker. He's like, I drive a wrecker, I want a cup of coffee. Yeah. Talks like that. Did you find this film was almost us- using all the cliches of action films? N- not necessarily subverts them, almost celebrates them. I would almost say it's self consciously yeah. cool. It's like haha, here's this guy with a yes. mysterious past kind of thing. Ah, here's the troubled cop kind of thing which is a completely different approach to tarantino's half death proof isn't it mm-hmm. very different films in a way i know they're almost celebrating similar films that we're into but it's a very much different films well, that's good because it means they didn't just make the same movie twice and slap yeah. both of them on one poster so yeah we're introduced to ray mm-hmm. okay now there's a rogue scientist called abby abby being a male Mm-hmm. Scientist and businessman, I uh, think. And businessman. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, he goes around with people's testicles in a jar. He has a testicle fetish. I, th- I don't think it's unfair to call it that, because every single time, well, anytime anyone does something wrong, he says, I want your balls. He's always wanting to take people's balls, and he puts them in like a... Like a vice grip, almost. Yeah, he cuts them off with his Clips vice grip, and then he puts them in like this... Jar. Like a, like a jar, like he'd see in a science lab. So, I mean, that's strange, but... I would actually go and say this is a fetish at this point. It is a fetish. It is. Nobody keeps testicles in a jar. No, it's... Well, I'm sure there's some people that do. I've been to museums where something like that you could see. Did they carry around them in their pockets, though? Well, no, they didn't. Well, (laughs) maybe maybe that's the thin line between fetish and science. That would just be unhygienic. But it's ridiculous. But in this movie's universe, it makes sense. We've also got... uh, What's it called? Lieutenant... Is it Lieutenant Muldoon? Muldoon Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis. Now, this is interesting because this is kind of a cameo appearance. And this was a big grindhouse technique. They'd they'd take a well-known actor. They'd feature them prominently in the advertising. But in the film, they really don't do very much. In fact, Bruce Willis is never on screen with any other named performer. No, well, that well that is was a grindhouse technique because they could only probably afford them for the day. Yeah. But because they're technically in the film, which they obviously mm-hmm. are, they would feature them prominently on the poster. And they could give them, as a, they, they could give them very high billing, not even top billing, maybe. As a selling point. And I suppose you could draw this parallel with Charles Bronson. You could, yeah, because he did a lot of these kind of things, like, especially like, well, like, well, the later Death Wish movies, he was still a prominent part, but yeah, he did appear in a lot of these bit parts, didn't and he? And even more of a parallel, you could actually say Bruce Willis turned into a bit of a Charles Bronson. He did. In fact, I'm glad you said that because this was 2007. Seven. This was the last year before he did any of these director dvd uh, video movies. In fact, 2008, he would do his first director dvd uh, director video film. Oh, was that the first one? That 2008. Was the, 2008. And after that, 
Well, I mean, obviously he did other diehards, but after that, mostly just director video movies. Christ, so he's been director video a long time now. He's, only, he's some of them like ten movies a year he's been doing. Ooh, Aye. it's a lot. But I mean, like, I mean, obviously he's retired now. It's really unfortunate. He's got uh, aphasia. That um, it's, yeah, it's a memory loss. So, type so thing. it's unfortunate. But yeah, it's sad that he ended his career on so many of those terrible movies. So Bruce Willis's character Muldoon is. All he really says is he's looking for the shit. The shit is his thing, yeah. Could somebody please tell me what the shit is? The shit, well, it's obviously some good stuff, but, well, it's a, what, a chemical. DC2. It's a D- DC2, which is also called Project Terror, what the stuff's called. And it's this, it's like a gas, which it's like a, it's got mutagenic properties. Yes. As we're going to see. And what I like is it gets unleashed, as you'd imagine, and like all bad things in movies, it's green. If you yes. see a green gas, you see a green chemical, a green liquid, anything green is bad. Because our friend, Abby, the testicle collector, mm-hmm. he shoots these canisters, doesn't he, at the military base? He's pinned down. What was... Was Willis going to shoot him? Because Abby's basically confronting all these scientist guys about... Yes. About something, yeah. And it gets to a point where he's pinned down and these things are here. Willis tries to take them, so Abby shoots them and it sprays out this gas. And Muldoon, Bruce Willis's men, they walk into the gas. Mm-hmm. Finally, they don't run away from it. They walk into it. What I like is this real inconsistency where some people are hit with the gas and then they start to develop these boils. Some people run through the gas and have immediately transformed. Yes, I know. <laughs> it, it does take liberties over... You can call it a kind of deliberate carelessness, almost. I'd say so. But this yeah. is this is essentially the crux of this film. This gas has been released, and it's turning the people in this. It's Texas. Yes, people in this kind of local area are being turned into zombies, basically. Well, it, Wayne, mm-hmm. technically, is a subgenre of the zombie film genre. It's infected people. Oh yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, because oh, infection includes things like alien, like alien influences yes. and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, but they're infected with this gas. So we're also introduced to JT. At the he runs a barbecue joint, the Bone Shack, mm-hmm. which uh, allegedly has the best barbecue in all of Texas. I think he's lying. Yeah, well, you wouldn't. His customer, his customer base wouldn't suggest that because there's never more than the only time there's more than like two people in this it's place. Cherry and Ray is yeah, that's the only time. But later on, when more people come in, that's when the apocalypse is kicked off. Well, but, and. Here's one. Were you surprised when Fergie from the Black Eyed Peas was in it? I was very surprised, yeah, because she plays, what, Tammy? Tammy. She's playing a very sexualized, almost exploitative character. Especially with camera angle stuff, yeah, because yeah. she's fixing a car and you get that kind of leaning over into her car thing because she's very knowledgeable, knowledgeable about cars. But at this point, we're just given the impression that she's passing through. She's playing like a cool character, isn't she? Mm-hmm. Very with it. Yeah, like you're not quite sure. But yeah, like she goes to this steakhouse. We spend a lot of time here. We kind of go back and forward to it. Like I say, JT, he was a fun character. I like JT. Because he's obsessed with this barbecue and he's obsessed with perfecting this sauce. He even at one point, this was freaky, because Ray's in the barbecue place and Ray has a cup of coffee and toasts him because it's, what, 25 years? Yes. This place has been open. Now, I actually messaged you about this to confirm this, but JT actually scoops up a cup of his own barbecue sauce and drinks that straight. He's he, he, This is a man trying to perfect barbecue sauce. This, this He takes barbecue sauce extremely serious. He does, yeah. But Ray orders a cup of coffee. What else does Ray order at the bar? A packet of red apple cigarettes. Which, Wayne, is in almost every Tarantino film. It's a Tarantino film. staple, yeah. But this just connects it not just to Tarantino films, but to kind of Death Proof as well, because these movies do have quite a few parallels. I've not a few of them down, but there's parallels to other Tarantino films and to just death 
Death well, we Proof get a general. nod in this film to Jungle Julia. Jungle Julia. From yeah. Death Proof. She's mentioned on the radio. Cause, yes. Because if you'd never seen Death Proof, that would make no sense. Well, she dies in Death Proof. She dies in Death Proof, And yeah. on the radio, there's a remembrance to her, mm-hmm. a there, dedication to her. There's a, and around about the same time, we get someone opens the boot of a car, and there's a shot yeah, of the boot, which the is... the trunk shot. Yeah, the famous in Pulp Fiction, and I think quite a few other films he did as well. well. Reservoir Dogs. I think it's, it's, in almost, it's in almost every film of his. Yeah, it's, it's the only thing he likes about as much as feet, Tarantino. Is the shot? Well, well. shots for the wood. Please don't mention yeah. feet. We even get that later. Yeah, another interesting pair of characters: uh, Dakota and William Block. They're doctors. Pair Husband of doctors. and wife. Again, William plays that very kind of classic movie villain. That very gruff voice, always looking angry. Looks very sinister. Played by Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin, the fantastic Josh Brolin. Who? Fun fact asked Robert Rodriguez to help film an audition for No Country for Old Men while he was making this film. Because the Coens, uh, they like wouldn't allow him to do an audition, so uh, Robert Rodriguez shot one for him. Which is good. But it worked, he got the part. Well, it's a brilliant film. I love No Country mm. for Old Men. So yeah. that worked. So there is a lot of tension between uh, Dakota and William Block, the doctors, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Do you see when the, their first introductory scene when they're getting out of bed and he asks her to open the shades? Mm-hmm. Did you see the gas floating over the moon? Or did the gas go in front the of the gas moon? Is oh, no, I that. So we're already getting the pervading sense now that the the town is going to be infected soon. Because that's interesting because with the gas thing, a lot of that doesn't come into play until later yes. on. But it's good that the film does keep it flowing through. Wayne, what head. is it? It's foreshadowing! Exactly, for <laughs> bloody shadowing. Yeah, but these two have a very, you could say, contentious relationship here. We see Dakota sending messages to someone. She's got a lover, Wayne. Mm-hmm, she does have a lover, yeah. And who is it? Mm-hmm. I believe it's... Fergie? Fergie, that's the one. Yeah, Tammy, that's one. Yeah. I'm calling her Fergie. Wait. Fergie, yeah. So that may explain again. That explains why she's coming through town. And the... she, t- well, she texts to her lover, mm-hmm. who we later find out is Fergie. Fergie. Harry, I think he knows. Mm-hmm. Which is old sinister William. Mm-hmm. He's not kind of somebody you would want to get on the wrong side with. Not especially. Not really somebody you'd want to be together with either. But no, hey ho. But uh, yeah, that's a message that she sent. You would not want him to discover that message because there's no way you can cover that up. But what does the William also say to his son in the kitchen? Well, no uh, dead bodies for Dada tonight. Dead bodies tonight. Which will also come up later. That's a very important thing. Yeah, they feel like to these to you feel like very on the nose lines of dialogue. Do you think them lines were emphasised almost so when they're called back later in the film you go, oh yeah. I see what you're doing. They stick out and you remember them. Yes. Even when he says, uh, what's the kid saying? Like, uh, I'll eat your brains and I'll like absorb your intelligence. There's another line that comes up later yes. on as well. Mm. Oh, I'll eat your brains and gain your knowledge. Exactly. That's the one, yeah. Which makes sense because that's exactly, it's the MO of zombies. Well, they don't absorb your knowledge, but they eat your brains. So we get her um, meeting by Ray and Cherry because Cherry, after she leaves the, the go-go dancing club, she falls over, cuts her leg, when the military convoy go by. Yeah, she's got someone sticking out of a leg. Yeah, so they reconvene at the bone shack. Mm-hmm. And we realise when Ray walks in there, when Cherry's also there, that there's a history between them. Mm-hmm. And she has his jacket. And he's been looking for it for two weeks. Mm. He, an, he looked for it for two weeks. It's a nice jacket. It must be a nice jacket, yeah. Yes, it is a lovely looking jacket, yeah. Because Ray is running a, what's it, like a, a, like a trucker business, like a repossession kind of thing? Yeah, I'm saying like a... Picking up cars on the side of the road. He's a wrecker, as they call him. Yeah, he's a wrecker, yeah. He's El Ray the Wrecker. And like I say, he speaks in that that kind of tone of voice. Rough exploitation. Yeah, like nod. He's he's the kind of guy you look at and think, we're going to find out there's some kind of history. This guy, like, you're like, you don't know everything about me. Okay, so when they're discussing, when they meet up, when they reconvene, he calls her Polamita, isn't it? Which means darling. Uh And she relays to him, she wants to be a stand up comedian. Mm hmm. Did you find that an odd twist to the film? Did you find it a weird little 
I want to be addition. St- I want to be a stand-up comedian. Yes, she does seem to want to go in like kind of all kinds of different directions. Because she at one point said she wanted to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. She got into go-go dancing. Now she's wanting to be a stand-up comedian. Mm-hmm. And even her wanting to be a stand-up comedian with what happens to her leg later on—that's even kind of like a like a mock of that. Yes, isn't they it? make a reference to that. Reference like that. So she go. There is one line. We'll get to it later on. But there's one line I, th- I wish they'd put in. Like when she's, she says, "How can we like a stand-up comedian now?" And someone would, would could have said, "Well, you could be a sit-down comedian or something." I thought that was a line they were going to go with. Yeah, I'm glad <laughs> it's not a very good line, but yeah, I kind of no. thought they would, they would have stuck it in. But our first introduction, right, to things going awry mm-hmm. on the civil civilian population is when Willie Doctor William Block is in the hospital. Mm-hmm. A patient comes in; he's mm-hmm. got a ghastly bite mark, nasty wound on his arm. So they have a look at him. Okay, when he's in the surgery room or the doctor's room, what is that doctor doing, looking at them? their marks on the computer screen yeah it's like he's, they look hideous he's researched these other marks was it from like insect bites or like infections or something there were herpetic lesions what people brought back from the iraq war mm, that's what it was which was a direct nod to roger corman did you know that oh well, well they were using the exploitation of 2007 when this film was released and that was around the time of the Iraq War. So they were introducing contemporary issues to exploit, just like they would have in the 60s and 70s Grindhouse films. Oh, so they would have worked like, yes, uh, like modern news make, stories into yeah, the story. That, that oh. was the intention of that. Oh, that's cool. No, I, I didn't know that, no. Well, actually, Robert Rodriguez got the idea of Planet Terror when he was making The Faculty in the 90s. He did, because he actually said to some of his cast members he thought he thought zombie movies were going to come back in a big way because they'd die down for a while. And he wrote something like a 30-page treatment. Yes. But I think he set it aside, and he was... I think he was pretty pissed when zombie movies did come back and he thought, I could have made that. Because even on the set of The Faculty, he said to Josh Hartnett, you will be in this. Mm, he was going to cast him. Elijah Wood as well. Elijah Wood. Well, neither of them were, but... Yeah, no. Uh, they were both in Sin City, though, weren't they? They were, yes. They were, yes. Yes. Um, so, how do you compare, actually, Sin City to Planet Terror? Little aside here. I think I enjoy the story overall of Sin City more. Yeah, because I'm quite uh, into film noir, so mm. even though it's a very exaggerated version of film noir... It's almost it, like a kind of comic book. Yeah, well, leaping, it is a comic book. Yeah, leaping yeah. from the screen, yeah. I think uh, Sin City holds up better than this. I think it does. On repeated views. I really, I could watch Sin City pretty much any time I love Sin City. I love Planet Terror, but there's a point in Planet Terror where you could almost call it superficial. I can understand where it you doesn't that, depreciate yeah. with several viewings. Mm-hmm. They also doesn't appreciate. Yeah, at the same time, you know, since uh, both of them know what their story is and they kind of try and deliver all. Whereas out on me, it. I had the opposite reaction to Death Proof. When I first watched Death Proof, I was a little, little underwhelmed with the, you know, the the elongated, unnecessary chatter. Mm-hmm. But the more I watched it, the more it appreciated, and the better it got for me. I mm-hmm. think it's because he's like, all right, well, we know there's going to be these long winding conversations. So you already know that. So you're not really bored, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Also, when you're watching it again, you're noticing things you didn't notice first yeah. time around because the first time you were distracted by. Like, what you think, oh, Christ, we get the point. What now. you, you can see is kind of like 10. superficial dialogue yes. or something. Yes. Yeah. And I understand where you're going with that. Well, what about you? You. I, I watched it again. I thought it was. Yeah, I did like it better than the first time round. I th- uh, second time round, I think I was just frustrated the first time because I wanted, like, I was maybe wanting more to happen. Is that death proof? You mean? No, um, with um, with uh, death, uh, yeah, with death proof, yeah, with no, with Planet Terror. When I watched it second time, I I think I enjoyed it just as much second. Time. But that's what I'm saying. You you don't really find out anything new, do you? No, it just kind of it stays on an even keel mm-hmm. because this is more kind of over the top action sequence. Very. You could would you call it superficial in a sense? In a way, yeah. yeah. But I, I think that was deliberate. I think yeah. a lot of these choices are deliberate. But anyway, let's 
a side over. We're at the hospital. <laughs> this <laughs> infected grizzly cut yeah. these horrible pictures on the computer yeah which is not the kind of thing to play well because it's kind of not even related because the guy says i wasn't really in iraq or something doesn't yes he? yeah he wasn't in iraq but he's got this bite on his arm and then he finds it spreads really quickly it's oh like yeah it's, it's like it's taken over his own arm and dakota is i believe she's an anesthesiologist she's a doctor yeah because she brings her what she calls her friends mm-hmm. three syringes she says the yellow one takes the sting off mm-hmm the blue you'll barely feel, and the red-headed friend you'll never see me again. And yeah, and he just collapses. That's a bit ominous for a doctor to say. It is. Would you it's... like your doctor to say you'll never see me again what? after giving you an injection? Well, you can mean it in a nice way, like, you know, never be ill again. But yes, in, in this kind of situation, it feels kind of creepy. And he does, Very just, and like I say, he does just pass out right on the bed. Well, the, the gang, he's getting gangrene, isn't he, mm. already? It's, it's, the infection's spreading, it's spreading extremely fast. It's spreading all over his body, yeah. And actually, uh, Cherry happens, uh, Cherry Darling happens to be in the same hospital. Yes. Yeah. And she turns out, she moves the sheet away, it turns out she's lost her whole, like, the bottom right of her leg. Well, they, well, they were in a car accident, you should mm-hmm. say. Yeah, they, they were, because it crashed out on the... Because did uh, a zombie run out in front of Ray's, in front of Ray's truck? Ray and Cherry are driving. He, he gives her a lift after they've been at the bone shack. Mm-hmm. And there's this spiel about roadkill, how you never swerve from roadkill. Like if a deer runs onto the road. But he does swerve for whatever they see. Mm-hmm. They roll. Mm-hmm. And she says to him when they're upside down in the car, she says, I thought you, you said never swerve. Mm-hmm. He says, that wasn't a deer. And then she's pulled from his pickup truck. And Ray gets a gun, mm-hmm. shoots at the zombie. They leave her legs missing, mm-hmm. which is why they go to the hospital. Which is why they go to the hospital. So she finds out she has a leg missing. So there goes the stand-up comedian thing, I guess. Well, what does uh, Ray say? Some of the best jokes ever written are about cripples. Oh, yes. Which sounds like kind of... <laughs> that sounds like something like a troll on the online would say, doesn't it? Is Ray just a troll? Is that why we don't know much about him? Maybe that, that was his past life. He was just an internet yes. troll. Yeah. But she loses a leg in hospital. This is where, what I like about the hospital scene, this is where a lot of the major characters do converge. Well, well what, what happens is you we're introduced to the sheriff, JT's brother. Yeah, sheriff played by the legend that is Michael Bean. Michael Bean. What was his name in this again? Uh, sheriff Haig. Sheriff Haig. And did you like the line he says... A missing leg that is now missing. <laughs> yeah, he's great. He plays, again, this kind of very gruff cop stereotype. Like, he hates Ray. There's obviously history with him and Ray, because even when this zombie apocalypse breaks out, he seems more concerned that Ray doesn't have a gun than with approaching zombies. Okay, <laughs> there's a deputy in this film. Oh, yes. Called Tolo. <laughs> Portuguese for fool. For fool, yeah. Very applicable. <laughs> So, this sheriff <laughs> thinks Tolo can have a gun mm-hmm. more than Ray can. Look, Tolo should not even have a pencil sharpener. Badge to- or no badge, Tolo... <laughs> the dude is so dangerous. But who is it? T- Tolo is played by he the pe- great Tom Savini. Tom Savini. What's funny is, see when he appeared on screen, I immediately went, oh, it's Tom Savini. And I recognised him more from his facial hair more than anything else. Did you not recognise him as Sex Machine from, from Dusk Till Dawn? No, 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 I don't actually. No, I can't remember. It's been a while since I've seen Dust Till oh, Dawn. Oh, he plays Sex Machine. Mm, but Tolo's- he literally has a gun from his crotch. Oh, man. Actually, Robert Rodriguez <laughs> has a funny way of having guns in different limbs. Strange. It's almost like it's Le- an obsession. Leg guns, crotch guns. Yeah. It's almost like it's an obsession or something. Is um, Rodriguez's gun fetish on the body akin to Tarantino's foot fetish? I think it is, yes. Yeah. For Tarantino, like, all the limbs should be feet. Yeah. That would be a dream come true for him. But with Tom Do you Zav- think Tarantino loves octopuses? 
I think he probably does. <laughs> yeah, he's bound to love octopus. Oh, well, yeah. yes. But with Tom Savini on, yeah, Tolo, he plays just about the worst shot ever. I mean, this guy, I remember watching it thinking, this guy makes the stormtroopers from Star Wars look like SAS snipers. He is useless. The only time he gets a good shot in it's it's a great shot. He's got a revolver. Oh, and he's like uppercut shooting this zombie for whatever reason, but it's brilliant little scene. Well, well bloody uh, Tolo, he gets his ring finger get bit off. Dude, even that's treated kind of stupid. He's like, I'm not exaggerating, Sheriff, look. And yeah, his ring finger is missing and his ring is missing. And what I like is, when he finds his ring again, he tries to put it on the finger. He's like, oh, it's not going to work. And just puts it on another finger. Yeah, on his middle finger. <laughs> How is that ever going to go on your Did you finger? like the scene? You know when he's... Because another sheriff or whoever finds the ring. Yeah. And he's leaning forward to pass it to him. How slow motion is that bloody yeah, shot? It's really slow motion, yeah, because it's like because does not zombies not attack at the same time as well? Yes. It's like they're just kind of killing time until the zombies turn up. How did Tolo last as long as he did in this film? I don't know. I think maybe maybe his dad worked for the police force. Maybe. <laughs> it's just favoritism. But, but yeah, no. as we said in the hospital, um Sheriff obviously doesn't like Ray, so he arrests him. Mm-hmm. And there's like kind of an interrogation scene in there. There's another guy, um, a ranger called Earl. He was in Dust Till Dawn, and he was in Kill Bill. In fact, I think he played the same character. It's the same name anyway. Earl McGraw. Earl McGraw. Yes, same character. He's in Death Proof as well. Yeah, so yeah, so obviously a hero to, Rod- Rod- uh, to Rodriguez and Tarantino then. I'm trying to think, is it Michael Parks? I'm pretty sure his name's Michael Parks. Th- the actor's Michael Parks, yeah. Because did he not, was he not big, like, he had bit parts in quite... Yeah, yeah, in the 70s yeah. and that. Because interestingly, Earl McGraw is in Death Proof, mm-hmm. and his deputy, I think it's his deputy in Death Proof, is his real-life son. Uh, is his real-life son? Yeah. Something else I liked about him is, I think he had something of a downturn in his career because he was objecting to the increasing level of violence in movies. Interestingly, he finds himself in this film. Which is funny because he ends up in a Rodriguez-Tarantino thing. And a film where people apparently carry like two gallons of blood. Uh, yeah, I was going to say a film where surely half of this movie's budget was fake blood because the squibs in this movie are ridiculous. I would love to know if Tom Savini um, gave any advice on the practical effects. You think that's maybe part of the reason he was there? Because I mean, he's the he was the eighties he was the eighties like makeup guy, wasn't he? Because Robert Rodriguez uses uses a lot of digital foot, uh, shooting, doesn't he? So mm-hmm. I don't know how much of Robert Rodriguez's effects are just cgi'd i'm imagining is uh, quite a lot well obviously the the thing with the leg was yeah, CGI'd. yeah well, that was well, that, that yeah, was, well yeah, i that, don't think they amputated <laughs> rose mcgowan just for the film that's really. taken method acting a little bit too far that, that's a bit too far yeah so yeah earl earl mcgraw as we say his wife's got cancer she's kind of terminally ill yeah he's feeding her in the house and he's like feeling her straight yeah. straight out of a bowl yeah she transform into a zombie? Is that the yeah, right she, term? Yeah, she's infected. Yeah. Did you see on the table stand beside her, there's a picture of a young Earl McGraw? Mm-hmm. And that is actually Michael Parks in a role he played, I think, in the 60s. So it's actually from a previous yeah. film. Again, that seems like someone they would want to insert in there. But yeah, she turns into the zombie and Earl's called out to go and help, like, to go help the sheriff, to help yeah. to help Tolo, because everybody needs to help Tolo, because the dude is totally useless. You know when we were on about uh, this dedication to Jungle Julia, mm-hmm. we find out this when Fergie, I'm, gonna, I'm just calling her Fergie, when, Fergie yeah. she is um, driving along the road and she crashes, doesn't she? It's like, this is about, this is pretty much the end of her, because the idea is she's going to meet with Dakota, isn't she? Which yeah. is someone that we only kind of find out later yeah. on, but as she goes and she gets in this really bad crash, doesn't she? Which is why in the hospital scene, Dr. William Block, Josh Brolin, he shows Dakota Fergie's corpse mm-hmm. because the zombies have got her when she gets out of the car. Because he wants, to, he wants to judge a reaction to it. And he's jabbing her with them needles. Yeah, she, he gets her a bunch of times in the hand. And this is kind of important because her 
like both of her hands go limp, don't yeah. they? And it's funny because there's a scene where she has to get into her car to get away from the thing. And did you see Wolf of Wall Street? Oh, do you think there was a parallel? It was there? kind of like the scene yeah when like when uh, Belfort tries to open and like get into his Lambo when he's on Quaaludes. It was kind of the same thing because she tries to open it and she's totally useless. Well, she breaks handles. her bloody wrist trying to get in the she car. Does. That was shocking. Yeah, she puts her hand in the handle and just like, and it snaps her wrist. I thought that was again. It's usually played for laughs in this film. Something else we were saying is you know about how uh, we're saying the sheriff doesn't want El Ray to be yeah. armed. Do you think that was somewhat of a commentary on how ineffective cops are in horror films? Because in things no like idea. zombie films, they're among, usually among the first to die, aren't they? There's this backstory of Ray we never get. Mm-hmm. Robert Rodriguez said, he says, no, there never has been, referring to a backstory for El Ray. I didn't know what his background was either, mm-hmm. so I put that in the missing reel, because importantly there's a missing, there's a missing reel, reel later on. Yeah. He said, I thought I have to take the real advantage of the missing reel because all the questions that need answering get answered did not real hmm. so so basically his backstory is not he, he has a backstory yes we never know as the audience and apparently robert rodriguez never knew himself so he says i'm well, assuming he probably didn't I, I reckon he maybe wrote it purely for freddie rodriguez gave it to him and just had him read it to give him a feel for the character but like i say didn't divulge anything more to the audience but Ray does take a knife from the glove box of the sheriff's car, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. And he fights his way th- in the hospital in a very... It's almost like old boy, did you not think? As old boy, the, the, sing- the single shot fight through the corridor. Yeah. It does. Um, it's incredibly graphic because what's happened here is suddenly all these zombies, all these patients are turning to zombies and they're rearing up. There's so much blood. It's like, there's like It's all over the place. It's all over the walls. It's all over the floors. Because that's when he fights his way to Cherry and... Mm-hmm. shoves the table leg into her amputated stump. Mm-hmm. And when that's not the weirdest thing you've seen in that film, then... Well, no. It's a pretty mad film. Yeah, what's great is he just pulls it off and then just, like, shoves it and it just, just like, attaches for whatever reason. Okay, explain this to me, Wayne. Mm-hmm. What the fuck is up with them babysitters? That's, I don't know. They're really bloody irritating, though. I guess they were supposed to be like that because they're looking after uh, Will and Dakota's kids. And this yeah. kid's actually paid by Rebel. Rebel Rodriguez? Yeah, Rodriguez is his son, yeah. Because yeah. his kids are what are called. There's Rebel, Rocket, Racer, like Rhiannon. I guess they all just have to be double R name, don't they? Are they all double R? It's like the, <laughs> is Robert Rodriguez the Kardashians of the film He's world? the Kardashian, yeah. Yeah, they're looking after and then... Uh, they're, they're so damn angry, though. No, they're really, they're really pissed off. Because Dakota gets there with her limp, broken wrists mm-hmm. and she kind of kicks them out. Mm. She does. She just lobs them right out. I, I'm assuming she didn't pay them. Well... Even though the babysitters... Yeah, because she has to come back because she needs to take uh, Rebel away because obviously uh, Will is on to them. He's already done the stab in the wrist thing. Yeah. And she lock, he lo- he'd locked her in a cupboard, hadn't he? Yeah, that's when she broke out and... Yeah, when she yeah. broke out and came for her. But uh, yeah, but that's... It's funny because that's like more their immediate threat is him rather than the zombie apocalypse. He seems a savage man, though. He's a pretty horrible dude, yeah. And uh, at this point, we get more bone shack because Ray, Cherry and Haig kind of converge on JTs because there is a lot of... There's a lot of stuff that takes place at the Bone Shack. The Bone Shack is kind of almost, you could say, halfway through the film, isn't mm-hmm. it? Because all the characters, the main characters who are set up, kind of convene there. Mm-hmm. This is where we were saying before with the barbecue sauce blood. Mm-hmm. He's obsessed with because JT is, we found JT on the floor. And what I like is when they think he's dead and he pulls a shotgun on them, it's one of those like double barrel shotguns where you insert the cartridge yeah. on top, but it makes a sound like a pump action shotgun. I wonder if that was like a deliberate little joke because it goes even though it's not even that kind of shotgun. It doesn't look like it anyway. Because Dakota makes her way to her father's, isn't it? Because we find out Dakota's father's Earl McGraw. Yeah, Earl McGraw is actually... Earl McGraw, yeah. And she gives the gun to the kid. Mm -hmm. Right, is that a smart move? No, it's not. And this is, I think you'd agree, probably the darkest scene in the film. 
In fact, the scene is so dark, uh, Robert Rodriguez says he would only have his own kid because he didn't feel comfortable having anyone else's child to do this scene. Because she gives the kid the gun and says, uh, you know, point, yeah. punch him in the face. And then she leaves, she goes towards this house, and then the gun goes off in the car. <laughs> and that's that's Tony dead because he's accidentally used the gun on himself. Well, I like when she says to the kid, he says, uh, when, when they're discussing who to shoot, and he says, well, if it's dad, and she says, especially if it's your dad. Especially if it's your dad, yeah. yeah. Which makes sense because that's the character they're looking out for. Um, but yeah, that was, did you feel that was kind of out of sync with the tone of the film? No. Which has been kind of, you don't think so? No, I think that the film's all over the bit. It's, it's mm. going for it. This especially, the Planet Terror half of Grindhouse is especially going for a sensationalization mm. of everything. Or like a random injection of yeah, I th- not even dark humour, just serious darkness. Everything's over the top in this film. The gunshots are over the top, the bleeding's over the top, mm-hmm. even the scratches on the film's over the top. The injuries are over the top, the, yeah, with everything. Like limbs and stuff coming off. You've got Rose McGowan with a machine gun on her leg. Mm-hmm. It all makes sense. I, I, there's nothing you could put in this film, I don't think, that would be shocking. Something I started to notice actually around about this point... You know how we have the, the like the film degrading and the scratching and the, the yeah. lines stuff. Did you think it was more uh, it was more emphasised in the action sequences? It looks like that's where the film starts to kind of degrade a bit more. Do you when, think when they're in a chase or when there's a shootout or when there's an attack? It looks more serious in those moments. Yeah. Do you think there's a cheating aspect to the Planet Terror half because it was shot on digital and all those effects were done after the fact? Oh yeah. Whereas Death Proof was shot on film, and they were physically scratched. Film stock was scratched itself. No, no, I, I don't think so. Like, no, what, you don't like the authenticity of it being actually a physical thing rather than what, just they've digitally added. A it few would sp- look better, but I think I just enjoy maybe I just enjoy the presentation of it in this film because I, I just love how the the effects look in this movie. No, oh, it does look really good, and it's shot in HD mm-hmm. even for the time. Yeah, HD as well. Yeah, all just blood, blood spurts in HD. <laughs> Here, hypothesize this. What do you think's the fractured relation over Dakota and Earl McGraw? Because they don't get on. They've not, not saw each other for years. He even mentions this later that he didn't like Bill, did he? Yeah. So is is it her marrying Bill? I think so. That's what I, that's the impression I got as yeah. well. Cause, yeah, because like I say, it's even it's even mentioned later on. You, again, you're mentioning a missing real segment because there's a this love is where it occurs. Yeah, there's a love scene between Ray and yeah. Cherry, which kind of builds up and builds up, and then. Suddenly, it just says, literally says, missing mm-hmm. real across but the screen. But what happens prior to that sex scene, Wayne? Mm-hmm. We find out why he was looking for the jacket for two weeks. Mm-hmm. It was because of the ring in the jacket, because mm-hmm. he was going to propose to her. Does he propose in the scene, or does he just show it to her? He shows it to her. It, 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 Actually saying that, does he? No, I don't think he proposes. No, it's, it so. kind of looks like it because he stood there holding the ring and she's holding on to it. But yeah, it kind of looks like it. And then but... there's a sex scene, they fall back and you just see a stump fly up in the air. <laughs> <laughs> don't you? Brilliant. That's intentional. That That's played for humour, isn't it's it? It's almost like a thing you forget because you're watching this kind of passionate scene and then suddenly, oh yes, she's got a table leg. <laughs> I've got to say, she takes getting amputated and having a table for a leg at you know, relatively well. She's t- you know, she's taking this on the chin. Yeah, she's she's a tough girl. This you have to yeah. give it to her eye. Also, this leads to one of my just happy as one of my f- biggest laughs I got in this movie. They bring the sheriff in, Michael Bean, and he's been shot in the neck, and or he's been damaged in the neck. Who think, shot him? You think right? What's happened to you? And it turns out Tolo did it, which is great because I got to write down the sentence: Tolo shoots the sheriff. I've got Tolo shot the sheriff as well. <laughs> he doesn't even seem... The sheriff All these years, everybody thought it was Bob Marley. Yeah, exactly. It was fucking Tolo. And the sheriff says to him, he calls him a dumbass. I think I'd have harsher words for someone like that who just shot me in the neck. Because the dude, he like he barely shoots any of the zombies. At one point at the hospital, he shoots a patient because he turns and shoots yes. the patient who falls down. He's like, uh, which 
you can kind of let him off for that. It's a tense situation. I'm not letting Tolo off for anything. No, you're going to let him off for anything? He should not have a gun. What, just because he's called Fool? Fool. <laughs> Jackass, more like. No, he's a total clown. But I love the way Savini plays him as this kind of this kind of clueless idiot who's just been given a gun for whatever reason. He's too old to be a bumbling sheriff, though. I suppose he is. He's just been a. He's just. He's been a. He's been a junior for so long. Would you go as far as saying he's one of your favorite characters of the film? He is one of my favorite. Characters. He is not my favorite, but he is Ooh, one of my favorites. Tell me who. I, I like Ray the most, actually. Ooh. Again, maybe the vague backstory. Is that because he's classically cool? I think so. Yeah, that's and the it. vagueness. Mm-hmm. I think that's what I like about talking him as well. of vagueness. Well, uh, Wayne, in this missing real segment, when the real appears and the bone shack is on fire <laughs> and everybody is shot, as you said. The sheriff actually says to him, if I had known you were L-Ray, I wouldn't have been such a prick about it. Mm -hmm. And then when they're referencing the guns, he says about Ray, he says, give him the gun, give him all the guns. All the guns. Okay. (laughs) What do you think Ray's background is? Robert Rodriguez is being sly here and saying Mm -hmm. there was no background. Mm -hmm. Bullshit. Have you gave your own interpretation? What's your interpretation? Well, he even says at some point, I never miss... Yes, I know. Which has several meanings, but in terms of using it with a gun, do you think he was some kind of combat veteran? It seems like he has some kind of military training. Is, oh, is that, what, is that what you've drew? Have you drew him as a... It could be. Maybe he becomes, with that, the disposition he has, almost like he's a disillusioned army man. Ooh. Like that, or he was in the Marines or something like I that. I drew up that he was like a lone avenger, uh-huh. almost a bounty hunter, hunting down bad guys. Like that. And he's just what he's like honing the craft on his own. Yes. It's funny you mention the guns as well, because did you notice most of the guns they use in this movie are revolvers, which yep. are six shooters, which doesn't seem very practical when you have this many people approaching you, this many bad guys. And it is, to be honest, one of them action films where bullets never run out. They do well, especially with um, especially with El Rey. It's like he's got the infinite ammo cheat, like it's a video game or something. Yeah, it's a shame that the bone shark is burning down because you know that was the best. That was the best barbecue in Texas. Do you think the hygiene standards people burnt it down? <laughs> well, I don't think it would have passed health and safety. No, health and safety. Uh, JT's not familiar yeah. with. Wayne. Do you think JT was even that bothered? Because when he's driving away from the burning shark, he goes, "Damn shame." So that's that literally all you have to say. How do you think the bone shark started burning? I have no idea. Do you think someone knocked over a canister of something? Tolo. Oh, Tolo, yeah, Tolo. Yeah, fucking Tolo. <laughs> it's got to be Tolo. Had to be Tolo. Where did he shoot this time? Because they have to shoot their way out of the bone shack because as this is burning down, as everybody's there, the infected people are coming for them. Mm, they do. But luckily, there are several vehicles. There's a chopper. Well, I guess it's called a chopper. And then a... A chopper? Yes. What? Like a motorbike. Ah. Yeah, and a convertible car. A Jesse James chopper, Wayne. Jesse. Oh, I did say Jesse James, it didn't It was he? a Jesse James chopper. Jesse James chopper, and also a convertible, which they do point out is kind of impractical. Yes. But, but he says, does JT not kind of proud of the fact that you can't put a roof on it? Yeah, well. He's like, oh, no, it's open. You can't put a roof on it. This is where they leave. But Ray doesn't use either of those oh to get away. Oh, my God. This was great. It's a, it's a, a mini bike. A mini moto which he actually rode himself. Yeah. And oh, I th- well, well I th- congratulations. And I, and I thought it was funny because see from the back, remember those like funny little videos of orangutans on bicycles? Yes. He looked like that because he's even though he's not a big guy, he's way too big for this bike. So if anybody's wondering why Ray, L. Ray now, is riding a Minimoto, it is because it is Dakota's son's bike, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Which she had, which she had in the boot, boot of, which she had in the boot of her car. Do we yeah. get a trunk shot there? Do we get the trunk shot? No, I think the trunk shot was earlier on. Oh, I don't think there was a trunk shot there. That's a, there's a there's a missed opportunity. Actually, at this clearly p- not Tarantino directed. No, 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 no. <laughs> Although you say that, is it not true that Tarantino was on set a lot, and some of the performance have said Tarantino helped rewrite a lot of the dialogue? Yeah, I, I heard that mm. as well. So you think how much j- of this is Tarantino then? And in Sin City, you know, there's a big car chase scene. Mm-hmm. Tarantino directed that scene as well. 
Or the one with um, Benicio, Benicio, Benicio Del Toro. Del Toro. Yeah. Or that one. I love that scene. Yeah, because even on the back of the, the DVD for Sin City, it says, obviously, directed by Robert Rodriguez, and it says, car chase scene directed by Quentin Tarantino. I never, no- I never noticed that. But it does make sense, again, because this product is it's kind of one project, so it makes sense they would bleed into each other. But how much input do you think Rodriguez had on Death Proof? I don't think necessarily a load. I know it was Tarantino. Actually, funnily enough, do you know whose idea for the missing reel it was? Was that a Tarantino idea? No. Keep guessing, Wayne. You won't guess. Oh, it wasn't Fergie, was it? Tolo! Tolo! No, it was definitely not Tolo. (laughs) Tolo destroyed some footage. The the, the single man who couldn't shoot straight. (laughs) No, it was Richard Linklater. Richard Linklater. The director? Yes. Really? Because they're good friends, yeah. Oh, right then. He's another Texas director. Texas, like Robert, Robert Texas, yeah. Tarantino said, we were watching this Oliver Reed, Richard Windmark movie called The Sellout. And it was a missing reel right in the middle. And I've come to like it that way. I don't even want to know what happens in the missing reel. I like having to figure it out. Richard Widmark had this girl and you can't tell if Oliver Reed had sex with her in the missing reel or not. Maybe he did. And that's why they're all mad at each other. Hmm. So, so it gives that's, that that's like a direct, like a you, direct reference. You though, can yeah. draw your own conclusion. I think it was after telling this, Richard Linklater said, "Yeah, use that idea. Have the missing reel in the film. Have a literal missing reel." Yeah, no, I still think Tolo destroyed it. Yeah, fuck Tolo. That's definitely what I think of. Yeah, this is a bit where, again, we mentioned earlier on. This is you know all, all this came about because of this kind of army presence and this gas getting out. The army come back now. It's almost like an ex machina, isn't it? Because they're they come across this horde of zombies and then the army shoot all of them. Well, what what happens is when we're we're on this convoy now of all those who escaped the bone shack. This convoy has to get past the bridge, and the bridge is blocked off by all these zombies. It's like a wall of zombies. And what happens is they don't know how to get by them, but from behind the zombies on the other end of the bridge is the military come, mm. Bruce Willis's men, mm-hmm. and they shoot them all, kill the zombies, but they also knock down Ray. Mm-hmm. And they imprison are are heroes of the film, don't they? In this like shitty basement, bla- uh, like a basement area in which like cells on like a military facility. Because what's funny is I see there's signs on the road which just says military base, no yes. name, just military, yeah, just military base. base. Could be any military base, yeah. And uh, this is where Tarantino makes his customary cameo. Rapist number one. Rapist. <laughs> is that not actually how he's listed in the credits? Yes, it is. Ra- he's actually listed as rapist number one. Yes. Yeah. Who was rapist number two? Uh, was it the big lug? Was it the big fucking steroid guy? It was, looking... the bi- it was the big lug, yeah. But the guy doesn't play a very prominent part, but Tarantino's in this, playing kind of another Tarantino cameo, really. Well, what we find out as well, when we're taken to the bases and we're in jail, Abby says they're still stealing DC2. Mm-hmm. That's when we actually find out it's DC2. And Ray makes a sly remark to Abby. He says, and you're supplying it to them. Mm-hmm. Because... Abby is this. I think he worked for the other side. They all just reference the other side in. So, Iraq, he, def- so he defected they? at some point. Yeah, because I think all Abby is concerned about is the financial gain. He'll mm-hmm. sell anything to anybody. Mm-hmm. He's almost a mercenary, you could say. He did say that at one point. He says it's what like science first and then business second. Yeah, yeah. He likes the money. He'll work for whatever team. Yeah. And he says the gas is right below their feet. So under this military base is where they're harvesting the DC-2 gas. You called it Project Terror? Project Terror, yeah. One which of them says which, which was the original Terror. title of this film. Mm-hmm. Why do you think they changed to Planet Terror? I don't know. Project Terror almost sounds like more of a sci-fi Are you film. sure it wasn't Planet Terror? They I'm, sure, I'm sure one of them says Project Terror. He says the chemical weapon is called uh, Project Terror. Yeah. Well, there you go. And also, around over this time, a bunch of the baddies, because you've got Tarantino and you've got all these other goons who have like these masks on, because the idea is 
exposing yourself to little amounts of DC2 makes you like more immune to it. Yeah, because Willis's men, they are carrying canisters on themselves. Mm-hmm. And they are taking small amounts or ingesting small amounts because they've already been infected. Mm-hmm. But the, the their idea is by constantly reinfecting with small doses, yeah. it kind of contains the infection, I suppose. Well, it's like those people like... The, the, you could immunize yourself to poison if you just take it in small enough doses. Like it with just, snake, snake venom. Snake venom yes. kind of thing, yeah. Like just, I mean, there's historical precedent for that. I've heard of people taking like small doses of poison. And it, again, it's just immunizes yourself to it. And as you were saying with Rapist 1 and Rapist 2, Tarantino and Mr. Muscles, <laughs> they, t- they take Dakota and Cherry to this weird place where mm-hmm. they're wanting to do unsavory bits. Yeah. And Tarantino gets some weird lines. Did like, you think Tarantino's lines here were written by... Did you not think they sounded really Tarantino-esque? They do. Do you think maybe he wrote this in I himself? think he wrote them, do yeah. Do you think Robert Rodriguez originally wrote it, but he suggested a few changes, maybe? Well, interestingly, here's a funny little anecdote. Do you know with Robert Rodriguez's scripts, he'll sometimes put in a script to entice actors to do his work. It'll just be a missing line of dialogue, mm-hmm. and, it, and he'll say, to be written by Quentin Tarantino. Ah, that's clever. That's how he entices workers to act with him. Even if he has no intention of getting Tarantino. Oh, no, I think Tarantino probably is going to do it. But because mm-hmm. Tarantino writes rewrites for mm-hmm. Robert Rodriguez quite a bit. Yeah, I think the most funniest Tarantino line in this scene is it's basically a scene where he's implying that he's going to rape uh, yep. Cherry, and uh, he's making fun of the fact that she's got a one one leg, and he says, "I've never seen a one legged stripper, and I've been to Morocco." Like, yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm like, uh, okay, is that a thing? <laughs> I guess. I Do you guess. think they had that problem in Casablanca? <laughs> I don't. I don't recall that problem in Casablanca. No, no. no. I don't know if zombies are one-legged strippers in it. I can't. I can't remember Ingrid Bergman. Uh... No, we'll we'll always have Morocco. Yes. that's not how the line goes. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Dakota's here at one point, and she uses because something we never mentioned earlier actually is uh, some of those needles she has. She actually inserted some in uh, like a, like a bandolier on yep. her leg. Yep. So I'm calling them Chekhov's needles. Chekhov's needles. Yep. Why is actually, that? What's well, what? Because the, we've seen them earlier. Forget all about them, ah. and then suddenly come out in the scene here. And this is where Cherry gets a big moment because she gets the machine gun leg. Yes, plays a huge part in the advertising. It's pretty much the biggest image on the poster. That's some machine gun leg. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. What I find funny is it's a right leg, isn't it? But if you look at the Dutch posters, it's a left leg. How would you think it's triggered? I had questions about that. How is it triggered? How much ammo does it have? Because it never runs out. And uh, again, it's on the Dutch poster. It's a mental task. You think you shoot. Probably, yeah, I suppose so. I mean, there's logistics, but obviously this wasn't thought of because it looks cool. And that's what's really important here. Style over substance. Mm -hmm. Well, we have to say she's more accurate than Tolo. (laughs) She's got more bullets, to be fair. She does have more bullets, to be fair, yeah. And uh, actually... Christ, think of the damage Tolo could do with a machine gun. I just realised Tolo is dead at this point, isn't he? Because in the bone shack, he was like ripped to pieces, which I loved because that was such a comically over the top death. Remember that? He got torn up. Like, I think each zombie grabs a leg and just like yes. pulls it to bits. That was almost. Uh, uh, I wonder if that was like a nod to his 80s practical effects days. I wonder if he supervised his own death. Yeah, I think he was being punished for his incompetence. Yes. <laughs> you won't shoot again, Tolo. Damn, damn you, Tolo. This is the only way we can stop you. So this kind of rape sequence plays. In the music in the background, there's a radio, and it's a cover version. The original version is by the Dead Kennedys called Too Drunk to Fuck. And, it, <laughs> uh, and, 
and this is the a French version of that. I can't remember the French group's name, but they do covers of famous songs. Yeah, actually, around right about the scene as well, baddies are watching a film called Women in Cages, yes, Women in which Cages. is a real seventy-one sexploitation film starring Pam Greer. Yes, I know. Who the- would go? Who would go on to be in Jackie Brown? Foxy Brown, Coffee. She yeah. was a black sport. Black exploitation hero, basically. Yeah. yeah. Sig, Sig Haig was in some of them Women in Cages films as well. He was, yeah. yeah. But uh, obviously, Tarantino, like, you know, these guys know their films, so it makes sense they would have that. And I guess it's kind of fitting because obviously they're imprisoned. So it well, makes sense. What's that. the tagline for Women in Cages? White meat on the black market. Oh, really? That's what they say in the film, yeah. Oh, God almighty. <laughs> Different advertising back then, man. Yep. Yeah. And then we get to. The film kind of climaxes in what I call the final obstacle course, because this military base is laid out in a very strange way. It's almost like a maze of barriers, isn't it? We should also say uh, Dakota and Cherry do not get raped, luckily. No. They kill Tarantino and Mr. Muscles. Mm-hmm. Aye. Uh, I like the... Um, and they the... shoot the radio with too drunk to fuck on. Mm-hmm, yeah, and uh, Tarantino gets stabbed right through the eye, doesn't he? The peg. And... What I found funny is she's doing all this to him while the other guys just kind of sat there, like, are you not going to stop this? Yeah. But there's too many muscles, he can't even stand up. <laughs> shit cardio Wayne terrible, terrible cardio terrible cardio yeah but they've got this scene where they're trying to get off the military base and Abby says he's going to go and because I guess he kind of knows this base better than them yeah so he says I'm going to go off and do something he goes off and his head gets blown up yeah I laughed I really did laugh because I was not expecting that maybe I should have been like was it this being telegraphed but before that there's an integral scene isn't there mm-hmm. because after because Ray and Abby fight their way out the guards yeah. out, out, out the jail JT gets shot he'll later die of the shoot, mm-hmm. shot and Ray and Abby find their way to Lieutenant Muldoon played by Bruce Willis mm-hmm. and Muldoon says what have you done with my men and Abby what does Abby do he, of course, throws them... He takes their balls. Yeah. Testicles. I took, them, he says, I took their balls. Yes. <laughs> He's, uh, oh, is it Naveed Andrews? Naveen, Naveen Andrews, He was yeah. in Lost, yeah. Yeah, I most, I most know him for Lost, yeah. Who and, is actually Iraqi? Uh, what? Yeah, Iraqi he, British, yeah. He was Iraqi, yeah. And uh, he mentions here, Willis is telling a story saying him and his crew killed Bin Laden. They did kill Bin Laden, Which yeah. is something that would happen in real life, what, four or five years later? 2011, I think it yeah, was? Yeah, and... They actually were gassed just not long after killing Bin Laden. This is a classic villain monologue at this point. Yeah, because this kind of gives us why, what the reasoning behind why they're trying to release this gas. And I think that, because it was quite a convoluted way, isn't it? Is the crux of it, they're releasing this gas because if the thing gets released on as many of the population as possible, Mm -hmm. finally there'll be a cure. Mm -hmm. Because Bruce Willis's character thinks. He he's beholden to his men who are gassed because they were under him in Iraq. Yeah, so and the, he's responsible now for curing them. Yeah, so if you if you if you um if you spread this around enough, eventually immunity will be developed. Yes, is basically what they're trying to do. Yeah, because not long after that, when they because well, Bruce Willis has a he abscesses really quick. He mutates. Yeah, he turns. He mutates in, into he, like some. He turns into the blob. Basically, because he like it's like he puffs up all over the place, and they're stood there with a gun, but they let him kind of expand and expand and expand. And then Ray shoots him, but but before that, he has to say a cool guy line, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Thank you for your service. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> cheesy but kind of appropriate. So that that's Willis taken care of. Yes. And something else is funny. You got JT and Haig. They're brothers. And they obviously have a kind of contentious relationship because Haig wants JT's yeah. sauce, which, by the way, is the best barbecue sauce in Texas. So he says. Don't know if we mentioned that yet. And, it's all the blood way. Yeah, and he starts giving him the recipe. And what I thought was funny is 
you know, I've seen a lot of movies. I've seen a lot of characters. I've never seen a movie character whose arc revolves around barbecue sauce. It's basically what this is. It is pretty unique. <laughs> this is his whole arc. It's just barbecue sauce. And uh, does does he have a line unrelated to barbecue sauce? No, most of it's barbecue sauce, and damn, that's good. That's, yes. about, that's about half of his lines. Did you? I was thinking this. You know, Jeff Fahey in this mm-hmm. playing JT. He'd have been great in a Texas Chainsaw film. He would have been. He would. He would have been the chef for the the Sawyer family. They call the Sawyer family. He would have made a great one, wouldn't he? He would have been delicious. I watch this meat. You don't want to know exactly, <laughs> but it's got good barbecue sauce. It's best barbecue sauce in Texas, and he's um, got unlimited blood there, probably as well. Yeah, he does. I well just just take it from anybody he wants, I guess. Yes. And uh, this is where Ray gets shot around about this point, and I think. Do you think they threw this into the whole "leave me behind, I'm not leaving you behind" thing? It makes it more tragic, doesn't it? Yeah, because he's lying there. Going, she, did she not even make a joke? She even makes him laugh at one point. Because again, this whole stand-up comedian, I can't remember what she says, but she makes some kind of joke towards him. And at this point, the movie just kind of throws the laws of physics out the window because she jumps over like a fence. No, she explodes the rocket oh, no, underneath her. So that's when she explodes, and it, yeah. And it, and it like lifts her over the barricade because they're trying to get to the choppers now because mm-hmm. Ray's had this plan to get to Mexico. Mm-hmm. You get to Mexico, you get to the beach, then you've got the ocean mm-hmm. behind you. Mm-hmm. Back against the ocean. Back yeah. against the ocean, as he says. And the helic- helicopter is on the other side of the barricade, isn't mm-hmm. it? So they are trying to get over the barricade, obviously, but there's many men guarding that. So Rose McGowan, rocket launcher, because obviously this machine gun is a rocket launcher Rocket as well. launcher, yes. She fires it to the ground and doesn't kill her for some reason. Mm-hmm. It elevates her and lifts her over the barricade. Yeah, and she just mows down a whole bunch of zombies. She's almost better without the leg than she is with it, because now she's got a machine gun leg. Well, now she's like Terminator or something. Basically. A more supple Terminator. I suppose she is, kind of, yeah. And uh, this is where, she'll, does she not even do like a breakdancing thing? Or she's lying down just like, no, she spins on the ground, like yeah. shooting all the people around her. And a rocket, is a rocket fired at her, isn't it? And she does this back arch. Mm. Another useless talent. She uh, Like says. a spider kind of thing. Yeah. Because she, uh, she was speaking to Dakota and she's like, look at this, useless talent number. Well, did she go all Linda Blair on the stairs there? Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> she's like, oh, useless talent, like 68 or yeah, something. It was some number, it was a very high number. I do like that, how they're kind of, yeah, they're like, worked into the stories but um that's kind of the end that no that's where ray's shot yeah that's about the Ray's shot at that point because there's another scene in it when they get to the chop cho- one of the one of the choppers the chopper and dakota's in there and <laughs> william block josh brolin yeah. makes an appearance how the hell did he end up there of all the places he could have ended up what is he doing here yes that was a very <laughs> yeah, man knows his directions uh, i guess they wanted to have a kind of final confrontation there with them though because Earl, her dad, comes through into the helicopter as well, Earl McGraw. Mm, and he shoots William, and does she says, no more dead bodies for daddy today. Mm, exactly. Call back, Wayne. Call, Call back. back. In fact, is, is this not the point where she says, where, uh, he, um, where the, chef sa- the chef says, I never liked him anyway? Yes. Yeah, I think that's one about the time, yeah. And that's where Ray dies. We get our kissing scene where she kisses him goodbye. Mm-hmm. Then we cut to... Where do we cut to, Wayne? We cut to Mexico, I Mexico. Cut to Mexico. I think that's racist by now. <laughs> Beautiful looking place. And now, instead of just a machine gun, she has a mini gun. She's got a rail leg. gun on her she leg. She has updated her So leg. we're on horseback, we're on the beach, we're on the ro- ocean. We get the, a monologue from Cherry where she says, I find the lost, the weary, those have no hope. I find them and I lead them. She's just like rounding the survivors up. Zombie jumps out, Wayne. Mm-hmm. What does she do? This is where we get the reveal. She like lifts a dress up. We see the rail gun or minigun, whichever, and just absolutely hoses the dude. That's overkill, Wayne. 
Mm, it is, but it looks cool. It looks cool. Again, how is she loading this? I have no idea. But that's not even the end because... Uh, oh, no, we get our little teaser at the end. Because, again, even the end credits, I was thinking, the end credits, even they look really badly deteriorated. Is that a reference to the fact the movie's gone on this long, the film is now starting to fall apart? But what do we find out at the end, Wayne? Well, we actually find out that Tony is still alive somehow because he's on a beach with, was it a turtle, a uh, scorpion? Yeah. This kid's got some exotic pets. It turns out he's I on I think he'd done that just for his son, that edit, mm-hmm, so yeah. it wasn't too bleak or something. Yeah, we do also find that Cherry actually did indeed get pregnant earlier and she has a baby on, like like a papoose on her back. So we've got a baby El Rey. Baby El Rey, yeah. Baby El Rey. Baby Rey, yeah. And... Yeah, basically it just ends there after that post. So we look, they look like a band of marauding gypsies through the desert almost, don't they? They've got that kind of look to them. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a, almost like a kind of... A ragtag group of Kind of survivors. post-societal breakdown yeah. group, yeah. We're post-apocalyptic now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's it. That's the end of Planet Terror. You like? Damn good film. It was I very fun. I really enjoyed this film. Again... I do prefer Sin City because I find the story more interesting, the characters a lot more engaging. More captivating, isn't it? More captivating, but I feel like Planet Terror knew what it wanted to be and kind of goes all out with that. Do you think um, it's successful in everything it achieves? I do. Mm -hmm. I do. And what it wanted to do, it wanted to be a big over-the-top exploitation movie, and it's in everything. Because to me, as we said with the look and that, this almost, to me, is almost a love letter to the aesthetic of a John Carpenter film. Did you find that? I think it is. Like Escape from New York and... The mm-hmm. things of that ilk, there's a certain, even the music, the soundtrack. Yeah, no, I think it's it's very much along those lines. Yeah, it's fantastic film. Yeah, again, I love the music. Robert Rodriguez's music is great. It's very compelling. And uh, yeah, I think it perfectly suits the tone of the film. You differ from me, though. You prefer this over Death Proof, don't you? I think I do that mostly because it's a lot more enjoyable, I think. I For me, with the problem with Death Proof is it kind of, I felt like it really does get bogged down in its conversations. This is more just kind of like an out-and-out mad film. Yeah, I agree with you. I find this supervici- superficially more enjoying, mm-hmm. which is, I'm not using the word superficial. Not, to, not to dissing de- it, yeah. Yeah, I'm not detracting from it, but it's very a surface level film. Mm-hmm. It's using cliches of action cinema, you know, for as long as action cinema has been around. Mm-hmm. Especially, I would say the 70s, it's harkened back to the most. Early 80s with that Carpenter influence. Well, that was the kind of peak of the grindhouse yeah. films, wasn't it, back then? And to me, Death Proof, Death Proof stands up with time more for me i think it has a little more depth Mm -hmm. i find it more authentically of that era as well Mm -hmm. it's funny because i felt like um with planet terror planet terror felt like it was built to be like a ground up exploitation film with me with death proof it was almost like tarantino took like an existing film and kind of repurposed it for the whole grindhouse thing well, as we said, Rodriguez had the idea of Planet Terror dating back to the, the 90s with the 90s, faculty. Yeah. And when they introduced this idea, Tarantino actually came up with this idea on the spot mm-hmm. for, for Death Proof. This wasn't something that Tarantino had germinated mm-hmm. like he had with all his other films. This was literally, he just thought, all right, we're doing Grindhouse. I've got this idea. Let's do this. Yeah, because obviously obviously Tarantino and Rodriguez both big movie aficionados. Yeah. So they knew exactly what they wanted to do going into it. And I think I think they very much succeeded. Do you think they make a good double bill? I think they do, yeah. Double feature? Because they do have very similar... Um, sensibilities when it comes to yeah. film i think recommending i would definitely recommend this film if you know what you're getting into uh, i think you're very much going to enjoy it but you need to know what kind of film it is and whether you'll enjoy that kind of film i think i actually do you think see i think just an action an action film fan would enjoy planet terror 
yeah, if that's just what you're looking for is action, yeah, then it has it in spades. Yep, <laughs> definite recommend over here as well. Yes, so two recommends from both of us. You've been listening to episode 15 of In Film We Trust. Once again, I'm Wayne. I'm Liam. Join us next week where we will discuss, dissect and deep dive all things film from the obscure to the mainstream. 